Welcome to Marvel Studios News. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by my co-host, Paul Herman, for episode 92 of our show. We are joined by one of our awesome patrons, Brent Clark, who brings to us a really fun topic this week. We're going to be talking about Spider-Man. We're going to be comparing notes on every era of Spider-Man in the movies, from the Sam Raimi trilogy to the pair of Mark Webb films to Spider-Man now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a really fun topic. But before we get into it, I want to take a moment to let you know about our Patreon, because that is how you can secure an opportunity to be on our show or just listen to all kinds of exclusive content that is not available anywhere else. And that includes Patreon credit scenes where we take our episodes and then we discuss an additional topic. So sometimes it's an extra 15 or even 30 minutes of extra podcast discussion. This week, we're going to be talking about Disney's final answer with respect to the James Gunn situation that they are not going to rehire him for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 even after meeting with him last week, as well as Kevin Feige reportedly supporting Disney's decision to fire and, of course, not reinstate James Gunn for Guardians 3. So we're going to get into that. And another cool feature about the Patreon is that if you do subscribe and you're getting that exclusive content, you get your own private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts so that that way you can get everything. You can get the main podcast like this episode, as well as all the exclusives in one feed. You don't have to track down your Marvel Studios news content in multiple places. You can get it all in one spot. And for more information on that and for looking and so you can look at all the tiers we have and all the different exclusives that we offer, just go to patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And then also please make sure you keep up with us on social media at Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. And you can also just catch up with us every single day on the website, marvelstudiosnews.com. And without further ado, let's get into this week's show. And now welcoming to the Marvel Studios News podcast, Paul, Her no, not Paul Herman, Brent Clark. Paul's here too, but how you doing, Brent? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And uh, so, Paul, Brent oh, brought hi. a topic that you're going to like very much. Brent wants to talk about Spider-Man. Mmm. 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 A character you've heard of. Mmm. Mmm. I see. I see. We're going to go down this road. I see. <laughs> uh, I am. I When I was brought to the subject to my, or excuse me, when the subject was brought to my attention, it was met with much glee. So... <laughs> I am I am ready to discuss the spider of the man. <laughs> so Brent, you want to compare and contrast a bit the uh or just maybe well I guess yeah, a little bit of comparison from yeah. the previous Spider-Man films from the Raimi and Webb eras versus what we have today in the MCU. Is that correct? Right, right. Cool. I uh I I just been thinking about the movies and there's there's still a lot of people that, you know, love the Maguire years, especially Spider-Man mm -hmm. 2, or there's still a lot of, I mean, I still see and not, not as much love for Amazing Spider-Man 2, but a fair amount for the first one. And I, I love those movies too, but I mean, just to get it out of the way up front, the MCU Spider-Man is my favorite incarnation we've seen, but I've, I've adored Spider-Man my entire life. And so the Tobey Maguire movies, especially, especially that very first one are always going to have a very special place in my heart. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at with the Sam Raimi films. And 
the Mark Webb films, I don't go back and really revisit. I hated the Amazing Spider-Man two, so I won't even I won't even pretend I liked that one. But I did like the first one. I feel like the first, and I guess we can get to get more into it later. But the first uh, Mark Webb Spider-Man slash Andrew Garfield Spider-Man film, I feel like it's a Joel Schumacher Batman scenario where it's the mm-hmm. baby getting thrown out with the bathwater because I don't care what anybody tells you. Most people really liked Batman forever in 1995. It was not something that a bunch of people hated. And then, but then when Batman and Robin came out two years later, everybody hated that. And then every, the entire era got tossed out. And I think that's kind of what happened with Mark Webb's film, but we can get into that later. I'll, I'll go ahead and start. We can just start with the Raimi films. I mean, it's hard not to have a certain level of affection. I mean, I guess if you're maybe a little bit younger and you weren't around when those Spider-Man films hit theaters, or more importantly, if you weren't around for the many years where we wanted a Spider-Man film to hit theaters and we knew it just couldn't be done, it couldn't be achieved in a way that would look good in a movie, and then when we finally got that in 2002, it was just a whole other level. I, I will always love that movie for several reasons chief among them being i think spider-man has the greatest origin story in all of superhero comics period bar none i don't care what publisher they're from spider-man's got the best one and (laughs) uh, so i love that story i'm a sucker for it which is probably a huge part of the reason why i still like amazing spider-man but even aside from the origin story uh, i think it's just a very fun well-made superhero film but then outside of the film itself just what it represented because it to me, Spider-Man in 2002 was even more so of the arrival of the modern superhero genre than Blade in 98 or even X-Men in 2000 because Spider-Man really looked and felt like the comic X-Men. As much as I love that 2000 film, it still feels like a bit of a compromise, especially with the all-black leather suits. But Spider-Man was there in full color. Yes, we had a Power Ranger Green Goblin, which wasn't great, but we still had a really uh, outstanding Spider-Man film. So I agree that the MCU one is my favorite cinematic interpretation of the character, but that doesn't mean we have to toss out everything that came before uh, that. The first two Raimi films, and especially that first one to me, it's, it's always going to have a very, uh, I'm always going to remember it fondly. I actually just watched it again in four in 4k. All right. I <laughs> just watched it again in 4k last <laughs> week. Because uh, I, yeah, I, and I, I haven't watched all of Spider-Man Two yet, but I just I skimmed through some some of my favorite parts from it. But yeah, that first Raimi Spider-Man film that that'll always be a special one in my heart. So recently, I actually bought the 4Ks of the Spider-Man uh, films because Clow kept talking about it. Chris Clow, the King of Cranes, and um, I just got really jealous, and I begged my wife if I could go buy the 4Ks, and she just said, fine, let's do it. And I did it. And I have to say, uh, I rewatched Spider-Man 1 and 2 just recently, like a couple days ago. And I always put Spider-Man 2 above everything. For it forever. I've always thought 2 was the best. I think I changed my mind officially. And that's, this is a controversial like thing. Um, I recently, when I watched, when I recently watched Spider-Man, the first Rami film, I, I think I really underestimated the throwback quality that it had. And it, I don't want to say it was timeless because it's definitely dated in places, but it also doesn't feel dated. It feels like it's it does have a throwback to it. I, I compared it to Batman 89 in some ways. Like the movies are vastly different, but for some reason, like it just kind of have a similar feel to me. Like they feel the same now. 
and I, the kind of there was a retroness to it a little bit even. Um, and I, I don't know. For me, it, it was very even though, like, I just yeah, I, I for some reason I just connected way more to that movie than ever. And maybe it's because I've been reading all the new, all the early Ditko Stan Lee stuff again. I read some of those issues back in the day, but I'm like doing like a giant deep dive into it. And just reading all that Dicko uh, stuff, it really is pretty faithful to, to that those original like you know 20, 30 issues that Stan Lee and, and Steve Dicko did. And I have to say, right now, of the two of, of the Rami films, I I I think the first one is the best. I it, when I watched Spider Man Two, it was a little more difficult for me to get behind some of the the story decisions that they have, they've done, or they've kind of haven't sit as well with me. After I've rewatched it, so I have a very high. I definitely used to always kind of criticize Tobey Maguire films, and I don't think he's a perfect Spider-Man. And we can get into that too more later. But you know, as far as the Rami films go, I they they just kind of move around, shift, and but I definitely feel they're like some of the great. They're great work. You know, three has its moments of mediocrity, of course, but. There's also great. There's also some good moments in there too. Like the Sandman stuff is great, and there's some Venom stuff that's not bad. It's just not all great, you know. So for me, the Rami films will always be probably the the more true to like the more more original Spider-Man. But that doesn't mean it's a bad thing either, right? You 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 really nailed it with that last comment. In fact, I was going to say, especially if you've been reading the Ditko era. That is why you're so drawn to that first Spider-Man movie, because I've described being the Stanley Steve Ditko Spider-Man. You know, that that is the Aunt May and Uncle Ben that would would be doing the whole checking his muscles out and looking at the wheat cakes and talking about wheat cakes. That is that Spider-Man. They very much went with him. He's the oh golly gee Spider-Man version of it versus what they did with amazing and even further with what they did in homecoming when they very much drew inspiration from the more modern spider-man and the homecoming or in the ultimate era well i do think that peter parker stan lee's peter parker has a bit more of an edge to him than sam raimi slash toby mcguire's peter parker peter parker isn't the nicest guy in some of sam's in some of stan's stuff i mean he's not He's still, I mean, he's a nice guy, but he has, you know, uh, no, go, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start pulling panels, dude. I will start pulling dude. panels with quotes. I'm reading those same, I've been reading those same books you've been. Stan's Peter Parker, because like, not so much what he actually says out loud, but what he thinks in his head, especially when he, what he thinks when he sees Flash Thompson and stuff like that. It's straight right. attitude, Peter Parker, that Toby, right, that Toby Maguire has no tool. part of. Flash Gordon's a jerk to him. Flash so Thompson, gonna... not Flash Gordon. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Excuse me, Flash Thompson. But my point is that look, that Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker just takes that like, eh. you know, like it's not. I'm not saying it's a massive difference, but I do think that some of what there is an essence to Stan's uh, Stan and Steve's Peter Parker and Spider Man that was a little bit missing. That some of that was missing. I don't think they fully captured it, but I agree that the the rest of the Spider Man world, 
maybe not all of Peter Parker's personality or every aspect of Peter's personality. I don't think they quite got that in the Raimi films, but they got everything else. The Aunt May bit, the Uncle Ben stuff, and clearly J. Jonah Jameson from, oh, yeah. the, from the get-go uh, mm-hmm. was what Stan and, and Steve had in mind. Yeah, I never once, you know, you know, going back and reading those comics, def- I definitely feel that Peter has, he sticks up for himself more. And I think mm-hmm. that he, but I think one of the things I like about Spider-Man, or not like, but I've always liked about Spider-Man, is that he is an average person to where you get to see his inner thoughts. That sure. he gets, you know, you get to see him be like, oh man, like I don't like, like Ned Leeds is a great example. In like the D- Lee Dicko stuff, you know, he's trying to like date Betty Brant, and Betty Brant's all mad at him because of, she always comes up with some crazy ideas that she's all mad at him about. I feel, I feel Betty Branch really hard on Peter. But anyway, but she starts dating. I think Stan like, didn't do the best job writing women in those Spider-Man Yeah, I, well, I definitely would agree to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, the, yeah. the era is a contributing factor yes. to that for sure. Yes, but but that being said, that, you know, he's, he gets jealous. He gets mad. He, like, he definitely, yeah. like, you know, is condescending to Ned Leeds. But I don't really blame him. I don't think he's being a no, jerk. No, no, no. I'm not saying he's so, being a jerk. I'm just saying, like, there is an edge to him. That's not a negative thing. A slight, a slight edge. It's, it's not, it's I would edge. say. It's not a negative thing. He has a personality. He has attitude. It's not a bad thing. He's still a very nice guy because he's still, even though he thinks certain things, he doesn't act on those things. So he, he retains his he retains his nice guy card. I'm not pulling peter parker's nice guy card but just that just having some of the thoughts that he actually has and what he experiences i feel like some of that was missing from mcguire's peter parker not in like this overly huge negative way but i don't necessarily feel if we're gonna say whether or not they totally captured everything from the lee and ditko era my answer to that is no but it doesn't mean that it doesn't right. mean they did a horrible job of it i just no, don't think yeah, they got everything well, and, and think about this too is that with there is some toot in t- some of Toby's stuff. Like, and for instance, like the the part where um, he's talking to Harry and and he's talking where they're in their apartment and Norman shows up and he talks about when am I going to meet her and he goes, "I'm sorry, sir, he hasn't mentioned to me either." Like he kind of like is a yeah. jerk to Harry. So there is some edge here or there with with Toby when he's not you know being Spider Man or whatever. So yeah, he's I, he's got a oh, butter knife edge to him. I'll give him that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a little bit, but just like I think the same thing with Lee and Ditko as well. I don't think he ever had like I. Th- I still think it's a butter knife kind of attitude. But, but you see, yeah, I'll go cheap me, steak knife. Fair enough. Fair enough. Agree to disagree. Um, but what's what I will say, I will I will give you a lot of credit or not credit. But what I will tell you is that, and I think we mean you both agree on this, Sean, is that Mark Webb's Peter Parker is like. I, that is not my Peter Parker. I don't. I. I cannot stand. I don't know if that's anybody's Peter Parker. That is. That is the worst characterization of Peter Parker, and that's not Andrew Garfield's fault. I want to make that very. Some clear. of it is. See, I don't. It's some the, of it is. Not, he's being directed. He's being directed, but some of that is like Andrew Garfield overacting, and somebody should just rein him in. Now, again, a lot of actors would probably be guilty of overacting if there weren't directors on set who were like, "Hey, dial that back a bit." But there's some stuff with Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker. But you're right. I still blame for the most part 
the writing and the direction. I'm not going to completely absolve Andrew Garfield of any and all blame. He's got to take some of it, but he doesn't get the majority of it because, uh, yeah, I mean, there's only so much he can do. Like Peter Parker going off on his skateboard to use his spider powers. Like, no, that's not a thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. 100% agree. Yeah. There's some of that, but, and this is where it was kind of the, the pre, you know, the pre MCU Spider-Man, I guess this was the frustration was the mixing and matching because, you know, we, I think we've said it before, Paul and Brent, I'd be interested to hear how you think. Cause I know Paul and I have already said it. So, but you know, <laughs> with that combination between those two series, the Raimi stuff and the web stuff, it, and it was a very common thing that if you had McGuire's Peter Parker with a little bit more of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, then you had actually a more complete, uh, more complete adaptation of the character. No, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, I, I'm with you guys both that Garfield is not the best Peter. He, I, I would, I would give him some of the blame if you want, but I, I can't give it all to him, but he, no. he certainly played his part. But as, as a Spider-Man, if you look at Garfield's Spider-Man, he's extremely quippy. Mm-hmm. He's telling jokes. He, mm-hmm. that Spider-Man shows the attitude yep. that Peter often gets in the comics when he puts on the mask. Mm-hmm. And that is, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe there's elements of it here and there, but for the most part, Maguire as Spider-Man never really gave, gave me the Spider-Man edge, the Spider-Man attitude that you get from, from Garfield. No, I, I would, I would totally agree that, with that as well. I've always said Raimi's always... Spider-Man was tr- almost trying to, or I'm sorry, uh, Maguire Spider-Man was almost trying to be the Reeve Superman when he put on the costume. Well, yeah, yeah so much so they did like, the, yeah, the like, shirt rip. Yeah. Like a, a super young version of that. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing, like with Spider-Man, I've, I've always said, and I, and I think I said this in the podcast and Brent, I'm not sure if you've heard this or not, but I've always went, I've liked Toby's Peter. Even though his voice always weirds me out, I, I think Spider-Man needs to have a more like commanding voice instead of like, eh, but whatever. Um, but I've always preferred his Peter, Toby's Peter, mm-hmm. but not his Spider-Man. I've never been a fan of his voice as Spider-Man. It just sounds a little muffly, like <laughs> it's just not my, it's just not my thing. But I love Garfield Spider-Man, like especially in that first movie, like when he's <laughs> when he has the the, the car robber. Yes. And, it, yes. and he's like, oh, and he sneezes. Yeah. <laughs> and he like, I was, I laugh. And like, even though it's a, he plays it a little dark at times with that. I feel like it's still like, I love that he kiss, I just love his interaction. It felt like Spider-Man. But again, what I don't, you know, we go, let's go to Tom Holland now. Like Tom Holland, I feel is the perfect, like, I don't know if I love, love his Spider-Man as far as. Like, I think he's, like, the superior, like, no pun intended for the Spider-Man fans out there. Mm. Um, I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a superior, like, no Harold's Bard, like, number one Spider-Man ever, as far as, like, his specific Spider-Man, because I do love Garfield a lot. Um, but that, but as an all-around, like, actor, like, getting both parts, he's got the best, I think, he's got both of them down the best. And I think that... That is the main thing for me is the other other uh, actors had one part nailed, which was I think that's why they were successful, at least one film for Mark Webb's stuff. But um, but like Toby, he nailed Peter Parker for the most part. And and granted, again, that goes to the direction and to the writing of of the character. But with Mark Webb, I really think that like Garfield really did. He really did bring that character to life. I mean, look at um 
remember uh sean and brent do you guys remember san diego, san diego comic-con um the day they're doing like the like a panel for spider-man they're kind of talking about yeah, the, andrew you know, garfield and, being showed up in costume yep. yeah showed up in costume and like and he just had a heartfelt like speech and you could tell like it like it really meant a lot to him to be spider-man and i really really i mean i gave him a lot of benefit of the doubt i really did i because I really, I loved, I loved everything that they were showing me of this of the actual Spider-Man costume. Because that's another thing I liked about Amazing Spider-Man is I liked the costume. The costume was cool. Like, it was different. But I love the idea of like, could this kid make it himself? Granted, probably nope. not in real no. life. Nope. <laughs> no, but but at least they tried to go a little bit more of a as 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 close as, as a kid could right no, i mean it still I, looks like a me. super expensive movie costume it looks like it looks even more expensive than mcguire's costume because it's better <laughs> suit technology costume the costume design was improved by then like the materials <laughs> they were using like it looks like a more toby mcguire's costume looks more affordable to me because it was it cost less money i'm sure than andrew garfield's spider-man costume which is fine like it's it's a conceit. Like it always, it annoyed me, but I was like, whatever, you just got to go along with it. But that was where it wasn't so much that it was a fault of the web and Raimi movies as much as it just was a, a big plus of the MCU Spider-Man, which is that his, his real actual homemade costume looks like the kind of costume that Peter Parker could afford to make. We're not talking about how smart Peter Parker is. I know Peter Parker is smart enough to make whatever costume he wants, but raw material still costs money, and Peter doesn't have access to that. So in, in terms of the, the MCU actually having a homemade costume that looks like something he could actually afford to put together for himself, I I put that in the plus... It's just something that goes in the plus column of the MCU Spider-Man. It's not something that is to the detriment of the other ones because to me it's no different than you just accept and you just roll with it that when Clark Kent puts on glasses nobody can tell he's Superman like certain things you just roll with because you understand right. why they you just understand that they are the way that they are and you just go with it you accept it as being a superhero fan who's always loved this you know the classic sensibilities of these characters in the comics and whatever you just go you just roll with that but as far as portrayal, yeah, I mean, I think Tom Holland, he's hands down. I think he's the better Peter Parker than either of the other two. He's the better Spider-Man than either of the other two. And just the overall balance in the performance. I mean, I can't tell you, like, watching Civil War and then he, we just go to Queens and he walks in that apartment. And he starts talking as Peter Parker. And I'm like, holy shit, that's Peter Parker. <laughs> in, in a way that I just never felt with. And it's not... And again, it's not to knock those guys because they had their strengths, and I'm not. Try it's not about being critical of them. It's just this is how this is how good Tom Holland is that he just fits the essence of this character to a T with the way he moves, the way he talks, everything about him. I just completely believe that this is Peter Parker and this is Spider Man. You know, the costume thing always bothered me um, in the, the first McGuire film. When you see him designing his costume, I actually liked his original costume he wore to the wrestling ring, you know, as the human spider. Mm. I thought that was a cool looking costume. And then he suddenly bust out the sketch pad and has his movie costume. And what I do like about and I, this obviously doesn't go to his performance. But the thing about the Tom Holland homemade costume is that looks like something a high school kid could put together with like what you were talking about with the materials available to a high school kid. And as a side note, it's a color swapped version of the Scarlet Spider costume, which I, as a big fan of that character, have to appreciate that as well. 
but it they gave you a reason in the MCU for him to get the super fancy costume. Like they just I guess I've heard people say it was a, it was a cheap trick or it was an easy out to do that. And I guess if you really want to think that that's fine, you can. But it's like it makes sense in the story. And that's part of it. And frankly, neither of the other Spider-Man costumes, the way he acquires them, makes sense in the story. You just kind of have to yep. suspend disbelief, which, you know, what, what are we talking about? Superheroes. Of course, we have to do that. We're all able right. to do that. But sometimes it is nice to have an in-story explanation for things that could be explainable. And in this case, they got it. As far as Tom Holland's overall portrayal goes, he is off the page from the ultimate Spider-Man, which I know, Paul, you don't read or haven't read, even though I still think you should. For me, I think that is probably my long-term favorite version of Spider-Man. The Brian Michael Bendis, Peter Parker really spoke to me, and that is who we got with Tom Holland. We have the the awkwardness and just the general uncomfort, un, uncomfortable in like social situations as Peter. We have the cocky attitude as Spider-Man, but he's still new. He's still trying to learn. He's trying to prove who he is. He wants to be a part of a bigger team, just like Spider-Man did with the Fantastic Four. They just got so much of Spider-Man's elements. And sure, some of that, like the like being a part of the team, they couldn't have given us that. We couldn't get that prior. That wasn't a possibility because there was no team for him to be a part of that right. Sony had the access to. So I, I don't entirely fault that. I, I don't count that as a negative towards them, but it's definitely a positive for Holland's portrayal. I think there are certain things that just the MCU Spider-Man, like to your point, having access to things like actually having Tony Stark get to be a part of this. This is where to me it fits the, it's not the same, but it fits the spirit of the Stanley and Steve Ditko stuff because Spider-Man has in Paul, you know this because you're reading the issues right now. Like, Spider-Man was always comparing himself to the Fantastic Four, but particularly Human Torch, who's a really popular and cocky superhero, although the difference was Human Torch was actually closer in age to Peter Parker than Tony Stark is. But the fact that you get to have this idea that other superheroes have been existing in this world and Spider-Man looking up to them, but also kind of comparing himself to them is it, it allows you to really explore an aspect of the character that the other movies just couldn't do. So you can't criticize them for not doing things that they absolutely could not do, but it just gets to another thing that gets to go in the plus column as you're comparing the MCU Spider-Man to, uh, to the other ones. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it's Tom Holland's version is a little more ultimate Spider-Man. I think there's still a little bit of Lee and, and Ditko in there, but there's also just the, the social awkwardness is more prevalent, I think, in Bendis's interpretation of Peter Parker. And so mm -hmm. you get that in uh, in this version. And But I think another huge part of it and a part of the success of Tom Holland's Spider-Man, that's not him, is that his high school world actually looks and feels like high school. because. Yes. For all the time, I mean, for, it's weird because people talk about, oh, we're finally putting Spider-Man in high school. Well, he was in high school in the first film for both the Web and Raimi series, but it didn't feel like high school. It felt like TV high school. It, it felt like Tom. It felt like it was nine hundred two one zero. Yeah, Tobey Maguire was still in Pleasantville. Basically, is what it felt like. It it wasn't the kind of high. It didn't remind me of when I was actually in high school, and I wasn't nearly as far removed from high school, so I knew a lot more about what it was like in 2002 versus you know in 2017 when Homecoming came out. So, uh, but I think that actually goes a long way into buying into the idea of the the kid superhero. A lot of that's Tom Holland for sure. But just setting him in a world that feels more like a young kid's world, uh, that goes a long way. 
No, I, I agree with that. When when I watch those earlier Spider-Man movies, the fact that they all look like they're 25-year-old adults because that's what they are, it doesn't take me out of the movie because they all look like that, but it is definitely a notch in the belt of Homecoming that, you know, they're all 20, 19, or younger. They look like they could still be in high school. Like, I actually believe, yes, this kid is a sophomore in high school in a way that you never believe that with the others. The others are, they always jump to graduation, Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's a month or two later and everybody's full, full grown adults. And it makes sense, I guess, because they are full grown adults. We don't have that here. So it does feel like it's and yeah, Spider-Man in the in like the mainline continuity right now is an adult. And so it does fit that. But we never got a Spider-Man in the movies that felt like a kid the way we mm-hmm. have now. I mean, look at him. Look at the way he reacts in Infinity War when he's talking about when he sees Mantis and he's like, don't put your eggs in me. Right. And it just or, you know, the way he's just joking with Tony Stark about this is actually your fault because the suit's too easy to use. He's just he feels like a kid in a way that we never got before. So even though we've had multiple versions of Spider-Man, this is definitely an interpretation we haven't seen. Yeah, so regarding the Ultimate Spider-Man, I want to say for the record, I have read the first arc because we had to read it for Marvel Limited Book Club from a while ago, Sean. So I want to say that for the record. And I've read some. And I've also read majority of the original Miles Morales stuff until I think he returned. They canceled. I don't know they canceled it, but I think they stopped it. And then they did the uh, ultimate like merger of the Marvel Mm -hmm. Universe whatever so i've actually read it uh, i have read jonathan it. hickman's secret Wait. wars woo yeah you you just it, you read the first arc which is the origin you know yes. you know and yes. then goblin or the whole <laughs> goblin it's like you missed i in my opinion what is one of the best arcs which is the next arc where he faces off with kingpin and the enforcers I just, <laughs> so uh, close <laughs> i just yeah i just for me and it's it's hard because unless it's unless this alternate reality or whatever is going to offer me something that's like legitimately different i'm just going to go back to the source material I, I just i'm a stickler like that it's like renew your vows right so. like renew your vows is like is a i think it's a cool idea because you're talking about you know adding like the marriage back in and and if what if spider-man was continuing that you know you have a kid you know all that stuff but you know but even then it's like i just i'm not invested in that i will say i do want to read spider girl at some point because i know that has a huge following and i've heard great things about it i love to falco and friends so um i will eventually read those comics but back to tom holland i think sean you uh, i think it was you sean you kind of brought up the fact that there's there is Lee and Ditko in tom holland's performance and in that setting but it's also ultimate but i feel like what they did was different from Rami because Rami definitely took like the, all the elements from the Lee Ditko stuff and modernized it a little bit, but kept it pretty like, you know, true to that, what happened in that setting or kind of in that vibe. Whereas I feel the MCU, they took that updated it, made it to be, you know, as modern as possible and try to give it something different and, you know, but still have it be kind of what Lee and Ditko were doing. And I think that like the whole Ned Lee slash Gonky uh, edition, you know, I really liked it because I really liked Gonky and the Miles Morales stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I feel giving him a friend was it's different. Like, right. Like we and, and here's my thing. 
And I see, I know a lot, I listen to Spider-Man podcasts, which I will not name because I don't want to start fights, but they, you know, I, a lot of their panelists will say, I didn't like this movie because it wasn't like, you know, Spider-Man's not his own man, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And, and, you know, I think you can make arguments for either way, but what, what I think what, what Tom Holland, and the MCU have done is yes, we could have made another you know Rami film, and yes, we could have done another Mark Webb thing. But that's literally three things in a row. Like I think the one the reason why I and I'm a pretty I'm pretty much a Spider Man purist to an extent, but I will say I don't want to see the same things over and over again either. Right. Right. So. What I what I love that the MCU has done, and they kind of have were forced to do this because of Sony, is you know because they own the character, is that they had to do things a little bit differently. They had to give Spider Man a mentor. And it only makes sense. And and I've, again, I've already talked about this, but what I really want to emphasize is that I don't want something that's the same thing as exactly the same. To me, it got the core. He's he's driven by guilt. He's constantly ditching out on his, you know, being who Peter Parker is to mm-hmm. do the right thing. That's all evident through there, you know. And I know people criticize um, how the Vulture, you know, he doesn't really defeat the Vulture in the end of Spider-Man Homecoming. And to me, like, as I'm, again, as I'm reading these issues of Lee and Ditko, one of the things that stands out to me is one like Spider-Man straight up gets beat by Doctor Octopus in what you know in an issue he has to come back into fight you know or he gets it, it beat a lot back. exactly and then also there you know would people if that were to happen like in a, in the in the second in the first film where he's got straight up defeated and you know people people freak out and it's like well it's in the comics and then the second thing is you know what what happened in this one issue that really kind of I, I want to ask a lot of Spider-Man peers this and Brent I'm curious what you think. If Spider-Man runs out on a fight with his main villain, do you think that's in character or out of character of Spider-Man? Now, it doesn't matter why he leaves. Let's say he has a good reason. I don't want to say the reason. It's in character. He's done it it many times, including recently at the very end of Slots running in the Red Goblin arc. He's he's done it multiple times. It is in character. He is... The, the only way I would ever say that's not in character is if he runs and then doesn't figure out the problem and come back. Because he oh, that's the key to Spider-Man is he always comes back. Right. No, mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. I mean, he, he ran out on a fight in the Lee Didco stuff. He runs out on a fight on Green Goblin because Aunt May is sick. You know, like, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's exactly. a whole, and, and mm-hmm. the whole next issue is J. Jonah Jameson playing up the fact that Spider-Man's yep. a coward. You know, like they're mm-hmm. like that is part of Peter Parker because, and that's the thing with this kid's life is that sometimes, like, sometimes being Spider Man means he's not there for the people that he wants to be there for, but sometimes being Peter Parker means he's not going to be there as Spider Man, and he has to, he ha- he has to leave a fight or he ha- he has to go away. He has to prioritize Peter Parker's life over Spider Man, and it's that struggle of those two identities that I think is part of what makes Spider-Man so interesting is if you're going to have the whole secret identity aspect to this and Marvel's kept that they've, they've mostly done away with secret identities in the MCU, but they've kept it for Peter Parker. And so they have to, and and having him, uh, well, we'll talk about Aunt May in a bit, in a little bit, but (laughs) you know, but for the most part, he's got a secret identity, even with Aunt May knowing who he is, he still has a secret identity as far as most of the world is concerned. And so when you have all those things going into it, like that is Peter's struggle and it's a kid dealing with it. And so 
kids aren't necessarily adults are not masters of prioritizing their responsibilities and kids definitely aren't so having peter parker deal with those things and sometimes yes that means or even if it's not about choosing to go help aunt may instead of winning a fight with a supervillain just sometimes if he's losing yeah sometimes peter parker has to live to fight another day but he does fight another day and that's the important mm-hmm. part yeah and i think that's to me that to me i i it works and because I don't think Spider-Man is perfect and that's evident through the Lee Ditko that's why run. people love him exactly and I think he's such an imperfect character and he that that's where you know he's not going to get things right though that doesn't happen directly in you know every comic book because back in the day like for me it's like this if Lee and Ditko are writing Spider-Man today I don't think Obviously, they're going to do things different. They're not going to do the same things like where Spider-Man's going to win every single time because back then in the 60s, you wanted your hero to triumph at least all the time, even if you did mess up a few times like Spider-Man did. But back then, that was like, oh my gosh, he's losing. He left. Like there, That was a more of a dramatic thing that they did back, back in the day. So when I watch Homecoming, and he doesn't necessarily like have a fist fight with the vulture at the end, but he instead tries to save him and like stops him from getting this equipment that could hurt more people, which is something that Spider-Man would do sacrifice himself. That all to me is in character and in, yep. in, in, into the spirit of the character. So when he doesn't defeat him, I don't care. Like it doesn't, that to me, isn't like a, this is, this is, you know, the true way of Spider-Man. He wouldn't, it, no, that's but he not. does defeat him. Like he's, well, he, yeah. he stops the vulture from what did the vulture want to do? He wanted to jack all that stuff from the plane. Spider-Man stopped him. Spider-Man didn't beat his ass, but Spider-Man achieved his objective in stopping. Now, mm-hmm. granted, it wasn't, it was in a bit of a sloppy way because the plane had to crash, but Peter turned the plane to make sure that like where it crashed, it was going to do the minimal damage. There weren't going to be other casualties on the ground. Like That was a successful mission by Spider-Man. Just because it wasn't the most satisfying punch-him-up fight doesn't mean that Peter Parker didn't win. He won, and sometimes that's the way Spider-Man wins. In fact, a lot of times that's the way Spider-Man wins. Is it's a, It's a compromise, and it's not necessarily the most emphatic victory, but it's still a victory nonetheless. And also you have to factor in the story. They took the, they, they made what I thought was an interesting choice of, and, and it certainly, and I can, I know from watching the movie with general audiences, they loved it was the whole aspect of Vulture being Liz's dad and Peter's in love with Liz. Of course, Peter's not, even though he's a bad guy who's stealing things, Peter's not going to want to beat the crap out of his girlfriend's dad. Like, that's not what Peter wants to do. He wants to stop him, but he because he wants to stop him from getting these weapons and putting them out on the streets. So he's going to try and stop Liz's dad from doing harm, but that doesn't mean he wants to just start beating the shit out of Liz's dad. <laughs> like, that's not what he wants to do. And I, I think the problem, Paul, I'm mean, interested to hear your thoughts on this too, Brent, is that... I think part of the reason why there are some people, and I, I really think it's a, a very, very small vocal minority of people who don't necessarily love the MCU Spider-Man and Tony giving him a suit and all these other, and having, uh, having Ned Leeds basically be ganky from the Miles Morales Spider-Man and, and Spider-Man doesn't have a best friend who's there with him the whole time through his experience of being Spider-Man. I think the reason why people don't like these things is it's because it's the MCU Spider-Man. And so even though we've seen these things before, they want to, they would rather see the, even though all the elements that they're asking for are things that we pretty much saw in the Sony film in the other Sony films, 
they still would rather see those again because those are the more traditional elements of Spider-Man, but this time it's in the MCU, and the MCU Spider-Man has to be the definitive Spider-Man, so that means it has to be all these things, even if we've seen them before, uh, all the way down to Norman Osborn and all these things that we don't have as uh, that don't have a presence yet in the MCU. There's just a different pressure that I think people are putting on this, and, and to me, definitive is... Uh, it's a fool. It, it's a foolish goal to really have anyway for characters that have been in continuous publication for this long. The idea of definitive, because and even if it was possible for something to be definitive for me, it's not going to be definitive for you because there's going to be something that I like about it that you don't, or vice versa. So it's this. It, it's just kind of this foolish pursuit of trying to have this thing fit into whatever their definitive mold is. And I'm an expert in this kind of stuff because it happens with Batman all the time. So, you know, when it comes to Spider-Man, I'm like, yeah, I, I can call it like I see it. I know exactly what this behavior is. Yeah, I, I think that with, again, there's, for me, when you, I just talked about adaptations recently about comic book characters and things like that. And to me, you're, you're can't everything is not going to translate every single time. Like, you can't. And again, like I don't I mean, I think all three of us agree and, and we all love the MCU Spider-Man. So this is, of course, we agree. But, we, you know, what's to say this? I don't want MCU Spider-Man after four or five films either. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need that. I don't. I, all I want is good Spider-Man stories that aren't going to do the same thing. And if they do give me the same thing all the time. I'm not always going to like it. That's why you need to adapt different things and different aspects of the character that make it interesting. Like mm-hmm. I, you probably won't agree with this necessarily, Sean, but I'm curious or, and Brett, I really want to know what you think about this, but I would love to see Craven the hunt storyline be ad- ad- uh, ad- adapted at some mm. point. Well, yeah, like, I definitely do. I just want Spider-Man to be in it. I just don't want Craven <laughs> to have his own movie. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Well, right. Yes. But, but what, what I'm saying is I would love to see him married coming back from his wedding and then having to fight, like, a, have a darker kind of idea for Spider-Man. Like, I, I mean, I want to see something different. I don't want to see high school all the time. I don't, you know, because to me, I grew up, I grew up with Spider-Man being in his mid-late 20s. So that's, and I grew up with Spider-Man being married all the time. Like, I, so mm-hmm. to me, he's always been that character. And I want to see a movie like that at some point. And they probably will. And they almost did in Spider-Man 3. Oh, boy. Um, but... My my thing is this though that is that you don't you can't keep going back to the well and say like, well this is the only definitive version of the character because it's not like there's always going to be a di- variations of Peter in those instances and you know there's plenty of stories for them to adapt and take from and whatnot and I just I don't think they're going to do that right you know look at the Amazing Spider-Man films what they had a problem with doing is that they tried to again reinvent the wheel but then add like things that don't really matter to the character, like his parents and all that stuff. Like that's never what's so fascinating, uh, fascinating to me is that his parents have really never really mattered to me as from Spider-Man. Like I never really cared. I've always kind of thought what happened to him, but it didn't matter because he had a father and a mother. And I thought Rami did a great job when he says to green goblin, when he's, I've been like a father to you. And he says, I had a father. His name was Ben Parker. Like, I love that. And like, I guess for me, when you, when you try to reinvent certain things and add things that don't really matter to the character, like his parents, like it's an aspect that hasn't been done and it's, it's kind of interesting, but it doesn't work because in the end that character doesn't really care. It's like he moves on because he lost the only parent he had, or one of the only parents he had his uncle. So, um, you know, I just, 
which at the same time, why they have to, I don't know why they had to name him uh, Aunt, Aunt May and Uncle Ben. They could have been my dad and my mom and my dad, I guess, too. I'm not sure why Stan had to be an aunt and uncle. I actually need to research well, that. It's a, it's a element of tragedy because mm-hmm. he's, he's okay. growing up as an orphan. He, he gets blood relatives, but surrogate parents, and then he loses one of them. And every superhero loses a parent in that day and age. <laughs> so, I mean, well, you gotta, lo- you gotta at least lose one. And that was his time to do that. Yeah, for no, that's me, a good answer. For me, the thing is, he Spider-Man as a character, and I actually think we see elements of this in all the movies, is he does struggle with that balance that you guys are talking about in a way that's different than Superman, who has, for the most part, figured out how to balance his superhero identity and the Clark Kent identity. And it helps that a lot of people in Superman's personal life know who he is. So even like pre-New 52 when his parents are alive, he's not keeping them hanging because he's Superman because they know he's Superman in a way that Spider-Man and Aunt May didn't have that relationship. And you look at the other biggest character in the world, Batman, he's like the least balanced character of them all because everything is to serve Batman. Whereas Spider-Man, and again, I think we see this in all three versions, is trying to balance what Mm -hmm. do I do to not let my personal life down? What do I do to not let New York down? Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man 2, for Raimi's film, did a terrific job of that. I think that's probably where that film is most successful. I mean, a quick aside, I don't love Spider-Man 2 quite as much as the rest of the world does. I know it's widely hailed as still one of the best comic book movies ever. And, I mean, one of the best, sure, in, like, a top mm, several films list, yeah. But, like, it doesn't really get to the it doesn't really get near the top of any. Spider-Man 2. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's widely hailed as the best of the Raimi era and one of the best comic book movies of yeah. all time. I don't quite ha- have it that high. I mean, I agree that it's a better film than Sp- than the first Spider-Man film, but I don't like it quite as much. But that's just my own issues with the Dr. Octopus portrayal in that. Outside of my, you know, the character choices they made with Dr. Octopus... You know, there, a lot of the other, a lot of the other stuff really does is fantastic in the movie, but especially, I think the biggest success of the movie to me is right from the opening of Peter Parker trying to deliver pizzas as Spider Man, like trying to balance the needs of Peter Parker has to have a job to make money to help out Aunt May, having to deal with all of those part, you know, having to deal with all of those different aspects of just the, the his general everyday personal life spider-man 2 did an unbelievable job of that in fact i'd say spider-man 2 probably did a little bit more of that than homecoming did i mean Mm -hmm. just in terms of the more practical aspects of peter's life like we don't really get the money struggles too much from the uh from the mcu spider-man it's only really hinted at in the fact that in civil war peter parker was dumpster diving for an old exactly so which i think is smart like i love the way that the mcu finds little ways of of acknowledging things and saying yes that's still here without necessarily going all in without necessarily making it so obvious because it's already been emphasized in other films another huge example is this the spider sense because a lot of people are going, where is that it's i there. i will grant you it's almost not there in homecoming i mean it's not really there it's definitely there in civil war just his eyes light up when 
Bucky's thrown that thing at him from behind. You see the eyes light up and he says, oh, God, and he ducks without ever looking and seeing that something was being thrown at him. And then, obviously, the hair standing up in Infinity War. So credit the Russos and Marcus and McFeely for making sure that there's at least some visual suggestion of the Spidey sense where John Watts maybe missed an opportunity to do that. I guarantee you he slipped something in for Spider-Man Far From Home because he had to answer that question a lot with Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, but... I think that's where I think that's the where you can't totally take away from the Raimi films though is that the MCU Spider-Man while it's still very much its own thing and and obviously a huge part of the MCU it does stand on the shoulders of the Raimi films a bit because there are aspects to Spider-Man and to Peter Parker that even a general audience member who's seen those films, they will. there are certain things the MCU does not have to cover in the same way that you could say, well, they don't want to do it because they don't want to be repetitive. Yes, that's true, but they also benefit from not having to do that because there are certain things that have already been... There's a foundation that's already been built, even for general audience members, uh, that I think Homecoming benefits from. There are little shortcuts, again, like just having him pick up a used DVD player, like having the hairs stand up on his arm that just lets you know exactly what that is, where most people know who know what that is. They know what that is, not because of comic books, but they know what that is because of the Raimi films. Yeah. And that's a great point that there's more subtlety in, I think the MCU Spider-Man and not, they don't have to, Again, they don't have to do that also because they've already kind of established that in other films. Like they're struggling with money. And also what's what's interesting is that they don't have Peter have that job in Homecoming. Like he's just he's just focusing on being a kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously in Far From Home, what it sounds like he's far from home, we're not gonna get that necessarily either. And I don't know if we need to have that. Like I don't know if he needs a job. Well, and you certainly again, can't have a job where it's get me pictures of Spider Man because everybody's got a phone. <laughs> everybody's yeah. got pictures of Spider Man. Well, right. Well, I mean, you could have exclusive. I mean, you could still no, sell exclusive stuff to. You know, you can. Well, I could release can. an exclusive image right now on MarvelStudiosNews.com, and it will get <laughs> anybody. All anybody has to do is save the image, and then they can post it on their Twitter, their Facebook, their their Instagram. Okay, their fair enough. But I mean, they could. They, what I what I'm trying to say is they could have exclusive, like you know, here. And, and they, 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 you know, like how I mean, Peter how Parker could watermark do. his photos, but that's they can it. modernize the job. They can they mod- totally in the could. Ultimate yeah. Comics. They made him work for the Bugle, but he was like a web developer, like yeah. which eh, maybe a little harder now for a 16 year old to be a web developer of a major, you know, New York newspaper. But they can modernize the job if they want to go that route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. There, there are definitely ways they can do that, but I, I think it's just another one of those elements that they're not as worried about. And also at the same time, I mean, this is Aunt May who looks like Aunt May's got a job. Looks like, you know, I mean, I I think Marissa Tomei's version of the character is doing all right for herself. So, I mean, I don't, they're not rich, but at the same time, I don't think they're struggling quite as bad as as other iterations of Spider-Man have been struggling. You don't feel like they're they're struggling to the point where he has to sell a picture to make Exactly. Rent money. Yeah. And, 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 and again, to be honest, we don't really need to have, no, again, we don't need that because we've already, we've already got the establishment that, that, that he is focusing on school. Like we've got the struggling Spider-Man in jobs and trying to work for Oscorp, mm-hmm. you know, we've already gotten all that. And, and again, I, I applaud homecoming and the MCU for doing things different for, 
for choosing to do something different. But also, again, we all talked about this before. They had no truly real choice. I mean, they had like they, in order to do this, they had to incorporate certain things. So I don't. It's one of those things where it's a blessing in disguise, in my yep. opinion, that you, that you have all these problems, not these problems, but these uh, situations, because it forced the MCU to be different with Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I, for one, am glad because, again, I've got my 616, um, you know, universe comic books that I'm reading and read currently and all the trades that I have. I've got so many great Spider-Man stuff that, like. I don't mind the, the, and I've already got the five films before that have done mostly a good job. Yeah. Barring. And plus, you know, pick any character you want in the MCU. Pick any hero you want. They are not a carbon copy of the 616 version of the character. They're exactly. Just, no. They're just no. not. Everybody, I've long said they are more influenced by Ultimates than they are 616. Well, I mean, but what the MCU has always done, meta, a, has done a beautiful job of is I think the MCU has just picked the cre- they've just picked the cream of the crop. They don't care where it came from. This was a cool idea for this character from, from the Ultimate Universe. Great. This was a cool idea for this character from the 616 Universe. Yep. Also great. Mm-hmm. So we get to take the best of all worlds, all universes, all runs from these characters, whatever suits what we want to do, and then we're also going to flesh things out with things that nobody else has done because we feel like this is a cool thing for the character. So, And I think that's where you know it's it's... It would be silly to think that they wouldn't also do that with Spider-Man. They've done that with Iron Man, Cap, Thor, everybody. So, of course, they're going to do it with Spider-Man. And certain things you just do because it makes sense. It makes sense that Tony Stark would give Spider-Man an upgraded suit. It just does. In the same way that it made sense for if somebody's going to create Ultron in the MCU, we haven't introduced Mm -hmm. Hank Pym yet, so it wouldn't really make sense to introduce Hank Pym just to have him create Ultron when we already have a dude who's been creating crazy AI in, the, in technology in the MCU, yes, Tony Stark should be the one who creates Ultron for the purposes of the MCU. And a lot of the stuff with Spider-Man, I feel like that's no different, that there are things that they do that just make sense because that's the way it would go down in this world and in, uh, in, in this universe. And it also allows things to be different for audiences because now Spider-Man's going to have... A more upgraded suit. It still looks like the classic Spider-Man costume, but it has some tricks and things that you've never seen from a Spider-Man costume in the movies before. And you need that because, as a general audience member, like when as comic book fans, we you could give us the same exact thing over and over again, and we'll watch it, and we won't complain that much. But for a general audience member, like it can't feel the same all the time. Like it, it's a what's fresh about this? What's new about this? Why am I watching? another Spider-Man movie because in, in really the, the proof is in all the conversations before homecoming came out or even before civil war came out of people rolling their eyes at the thought of Spider-Man, even though he's going to be in the MCU, there were a lot of people who were skeptical going, Oh great. Rebooting Spider-Man again, going to watch uncle Ben die again, going to see all the Mm -hmm. same things we've already seen again. And the MCU very intentionally gave us different things that are very true, because this is where the MCU nails it, in my view, is they may change this or that element from the comic books, but they stay true to the core of who these characters are. And that's where I think that's the bit, one of the biggest successes of the MCU, and I feel like they've stayed true to that with mo- most or all of these characters, and, and Peter Parker would be included in that. The the MCU seems to understand the knowledge that the general audience has about their characters. Mm-hmm. If you look at Spider-Man, they didn't give us his origin because they know twice in the last 15 years at the time Homecoming came out, 
the general audience has seen it and they were successful movies. It's not like they were flops. They were successful movies, but he's not even the only example. Look at what they did with the Hulk in the incredible Hulk. You got like a version of his origin during the opening credits Mm -hmm. because they know it was just a couple years ago that people saw one. And so, yeah, they need to do something because not a ton of people saw it, but they knew there was some general knowledge out there. So they didn't feel the need to return it. But then look at what they do for Captain America and Thor and Iron Man, all these characters that didn't have movie interpretations before, and they full on gave you an origin. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I think too, the MCU, like you kind of goes what line, what you're saying, Brent is that, you know, they, we've only gotten one iteration of these, of these kind of, I say them B list characters now, cause they're not B list by any means, but like the caps, the iron mans, these are characters that weren't as well known when, before the MCU, the MCU has made them gigantic household names. If you know, they are borderline household names before now there are 100% household names and what's going to happen when, you know, in 15 years when they have to do it again? Like, what does Marvel do? I mean, they're not going to do the same thing. I think that's very evident. Like, they don't want to do the same things with these characters. And let's say Cap- let's say the tables were turned. Would, would Captain America, would they do the same thing if Captain America had five films? Absolutely where had- not. Yeah, absolutely not. And I know they shouldn't. And And, like, I think what, you know, everyone's got great points about this. And... The thing is, you can't. You can't, you know, you don't have to shove the same things at a general audience because they get tired of it. Like just like Sean said, we've seen the same fight scenes over and over again, and and we love it. Like you know, it's fine. But the general audience has to buy into the characters in order to keep going, to say positive things about it, and keep that buzz. And so they encourage their friends to go see or whatever. And that's the thing is like MCU has tapped into something with all of their characters mm-hmm. to where they, they can say, Hey, you know what? Like you may have saw Thor dark world. You may not have loved Thor dark world, but here's Thor Ragnarok and they love Thor Ragnarok. Yep. And again, they didn't give us the same thing. They let them, they let the character breathe because I'd argue that Thor Ragnarok is really comic book accurate actually for the character. He's a big oaf. But, you know, like it's more true to this character than I think even Thor Dark World is. And, you know, but that's the thing. They didn't go with Thor Dark World. They went with a completely 180 tone. And it's because they're one, they're not afraid to take risk. And they also know what makes the character work. And that's with Spider-Man. Yeah, he may not be exactly from taking pictures for the Daily Bugle. His boss may not be J. Jonah Jameson. He may not be, you know, his aunt may, may not be sickly and you know, 75 to 80 years old and, you know, fainting and barely moving around and and whatever and trying to get money for her. But, but, you know, you don't need that stuff over and over again. You know, like you have to, Aunt May's a crucially important character, but you also need to play off and try to try different things too. And again, like you brought up Aunt May earlier and Aritas did, I guess. Um, Talk about the very end of homecoming. Like the yeah. fact that they're going with the idea of revealing his identity is, was a shock to me, but it wasn't necessarily a surprise because in the comic book, she's known as identity, identity, like multiple times. And, you know, she's died and told them, I've always known your Spider-Man. And then it ended up being an actress, not playing at May, but that's a whole different story. Um, 400. Yeah, this is Spider-Man Four. Right, right during the Clone Saga. Yeah, I've got the it. Three guys that likes it. He's, yeah, and he actually is wearing the Scarlet Spider outfit. I think at the time, um, he, yeah, when she tells him. So, um, got but that then baby bagged and boarded. 
Oh, yeah, same here. And then you also have um, the JMS run where she finds he's all beat the crap out of by Morloon. And she finds oh, I like, love that story well, me too. I love I love JMS's run. I've read all of it, but I read most of it. I haven't read Sin's Pass. I've heard Sin's Pass is kind of uh, people look at Sin's Pass now that we're on this tangent and they just forget all the other really cool stuff that he did. Absolutely. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but the next one I'm saying is that happened in the comics, and it definitely there was some great storytelling with that in the comic books. So I'm actually looking forward to with what they're doing in the MCU. So like to me, again, and I've praised Kevin Feige over and over again for taking different elements, putting them together, and saying this is our pre- presentation. And what he did with Spider-Man is he took the Lee Ditko era. He took the ultimate Spider-Man. He took little bits and pieces from everything mm-hmm. else and then shoved them together and made a great Spider-Man movie. And I, I just don't. But again, all the spirit, the spirit stuff of Spider-Man is 100 percent there. And I what you know, my main people always say Spider-Man needed too much help in, in Homecoming. And I'm like, you know, and, and even in slots run, people always said, he, you know, Spider-Man always needs help. And in. I think it's funny when I read this comic books, I see human torch and Spider-Man teaming up like constantly, um, you know, and I'm like, well, he like was teaming up a bunch with the human torch and, you know, I mean, he wasn't fighting them the whole time. So I don't know, like to me, like Spider-Man having help isn't necessarily you can you can go either way with it, in my opinion. I, I don't think one is a wrong answer. I think you can do I think you can kind of. um lean too much to one direction like you can be too much of a solo person like i will when when spider-man joined the avengers i loved it you know the the first time with um when he wasn't a reserve avenger but he was actually on bendis's team for the new avengers i, mm-hmm. I that, that's what brought me back into comics because as a, as a kid i'm like why isn't spider-man in the avengers mm-hmm. you know and so when we got that it made to me it made sense because he wasn't always a loner and he even played on that that like iron man even said You've been a loner for so long. How how far, you know, look at where that's gotten you. He's gotten nowhere. So there was a progression at some point that he did need, you know, he's kind of like, you know, I should open myself up to be more like let people help me kind of a thing and be more of a team player. And granted, it went a little too much, I think, in with Fantastic Four when he joined the Future Foundation and when he, you know, and he had, and Slot had him teaming up with a bunch of people. And there's, you know, again, there's a give and a take. But to me, just because you have, you know, I don't call him Gonky, but he is Ned Leeds or Iron Man. Like to me, like it enhances the character to in or explores a different avenue that we've seen and, and are or have seen with Spider-Man already. And it, but it's not totally abnormal. And also at the very end, like he's still fighting Spider, he's still fighting the Vulture by himself without the costume. And that was the whole point. And yep. I, it's, it's, it's weird to me that people just neglect that. Like, well, he still needed, you know, he didn't yep. need help. It's like, no, he, he did it with, with his yeah, regular costume. That is the movie. Like <laughs> that is the movie is Peter Parker learning to actually be able to stand on his own and not be more than the suit with the whole line from Tony. If you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. And yep. so, like and and they pay that off in the film. So yeah, th- that whole thing of Peter's nothing but the costume. Like you, whatever you, you can go ahead and just pretend that certain things that are very obviously in the movie are not in the movie. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> like if you want to choose your own version of what's in the movie, certain things are up to, are open to interpretation and certain things are not. 
but it is part it is a huge theme in the movie that is explicitly stated in the movie of Peter Parker becoming more than the suit and like and so you know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man the suit is not Spider-Man that's there and so um but the other stuff I mean having having Ned Leeds there and yes the character is obviously taken from Genki from the Miles uh, the Miles Morales run and that's all good too mm-hmm. like and what I what I like about it is it gives Peter somebody to talk to and that's that's something that a lot of the characters in in the Marvel movies have like Steve Rogers has had Natasha Bucky and Sam also Peggy at different points to discuss his experience because that's how you learn more about how these characters are feeling is they're talking out their experience with other characters Tony has had that with Pepper uh, also had that in different er- in in a in, in a different way he's also had that a bit with Nick Fury even like we've seen or in a little bit of Happy Hogan like we've seen these characters interact with the other people in their lives and that's why I'm I'm very excited about Aunt May knowing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man yes it's happened in the comics so you can say you can justify it via the source material but even without the source material just from a storytelling perspective there are certain things that you have to you know I think there are certain things that don't necessarily work and the idea that Aunt May is going to live with this teenager especially an Aunt May who is not 85 years old but an Aunt May who like is still you know is still with it like still and you know she's still somebody who's got a job and handling her business and whatever like she's obviously a much younger version of Aunt May like she's going to know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So let's just go ahead and let's do the I am Iron Man version of this thing for Spider-Man Homecoming, which is what they did at the end. And I love it because Peter Parker can still have a secret identity as far as the rest of the world is concerned, but using that knowledge to explore that relationship even more between Peter and Aunt May, I think we've never seen it before in these movies, and so I'm looking forward to seeing it in these movies. And so I, I'm looking forward to seeing that as opposed to just eight more examples of how Peter Parker has to try and successfully hide his identity from the woman he lives with. You know, uh, you brought up Ned in Homecoming. My one hang-up with him, and he is fantastic, and I love that they gave Peter a friend. My one and only hang-up is I feel like they've took the one and only friend from Miles, so that if if we are ever fortunate enough to get a live-action Miles that is part of the MCU, if they take it that far, then... It's like, I I feel like they're not going to be able to do that character again without doing that exact same character. But that said, he is still great. And so that that was a hang-up I had about the movie the very first time I watched it. Every other time I see it, though, I know that's what he is, and I think he's great. Something about Homecoming that people seem to forget is the timeline of how long he's been Spider-Man. They talk about, you know, he needed all this help. He didn't really defeat the Vulture. Well, how long was he Spider-Man? Roughly eight months at that point, Mm -hmm. because, you know... Civil in Civil War, he says he's been Spider-Man for six months. Yep, but he hasn't been like he he's been active, but not he's been hiding at the same time. So he's not like full blown letting himself cut loose. So he's really only been doing that for a couple months mm-hmm. post Civil War. And I'm like, give the kid a break. One, he's a kid; he's still learning. And yeah, he he I mean, he got some help, but in the story they're telling, if you had a would you not use i mean i guarantee you if if homecoming didn't have any connection to iron man at all people would be saying crying foul about that because they'd be saying why is he not calling him? people always say that about these movies when they have the solo ones why did iron man why did tony stark not not just call captain america in iron man 3 why did mm-hmm. thor not call the avengers in the dark world 
they'd be saying that about Spider-Man. And here they actually did it. They show you he's trying to get in touch with Iron Man. He's trying to use him. And he it's like Peter understands it, he's not like the top dog. He right. still has something to learn. And that it, because that is another thing that they're able to do in the MCU because they're able to show you other heroes in the other interpretations. He is the top dog. He's the only hero. Spider-Man three does gives us one super powered team up fight, which is kind of cool with the new goblin. But other than that, he's the only other super powered person who's going after the villains. Holland doesn't have that, that problem. He doesn't have that handicap, that hang up. He is able to call for help. And I guarantee people would be upset if he didn't. Yeah, there's it's a no win situation because you're totally right. It's that's been one of my things. Yeah, I've seen that complaint all the time of, well, why didn't some you know ever since the Avengers, it was the well now that they're all together, how do you explain them not showing up in each other's films all the time? And then when they do show up in each other's films, oh now they can't now they can't handle it by themselves anymore. Like, well, okay, fine. Either way, you're not going to be happy. Whatever. Um, but I have no problem with Spider Man having help. Here's the thing. If Spider, if this Spider Man didn't live in the world with Iron Man, they would have written the scenes differently. <laughs> help wasn't available, so he wouldn't have called. You know, it's and Sp- and Peter Parker getting help. It's just ridiculous and silly. Like Peter Parker still does enough on his own to ultimately save the day in Spider Man Homecoming, even if everything isn't completely independent. Even if Spider, even if Iron Man bails him out in the ferry boat scene. Like, but that's supposed to happen. Peter is supposed to fail because Peter fails. That he fails. He's a flawed hero. He's not going to nail it every time. And in this world, there are people there who can occasionally bail him out when he needs it. And that's part of the whole lesson that he's learning. I would imagine that when we get to Spider-Man Far From Home, which is a whole podcast altogether, so I don't want to get into it right now, but when you get to Spider-Man Far From Home, I'm sure you're going to see plenty of examples of growth from Peter Parker as Spider-Man, where he's not going to make the mistakes that he was making in Homecoming. He's going to have learned from those things, and he probably will be more reliant. And so far, we haven't heard of any other MCU hero besides Nick Fury and Maria Hill. Like We haven't heard about a Cap or a Black Widow or an Iron Man or whoever being in this film. We haven't heard about another Avenger being in Spider-Man Far From Home, and it wouldn't surprise me if none of them are there because Spider-Man won't, maybe won't need them in far from home he might get some help from elsewhere but all these heroes get a little help from somebody somewhere uh you know sometimes they need more help than other times and whatever else but it's just a silly thing i think uh for people to be uh for people to be hung up on but Mm -hmm. i think uh well yeah we're a little bit over time now but any uh any last thoughts from brent or paul on these uh spider-man comparisons that really became more of a isn't the mcu spider-man awesome podcast we stopped comparing things a while ago well i i guess just to throw out some final things um i'm really glad they went away from the organic web shooters i was never a fan of those um same yeah i I wasn't into that either i was really surprised to give to give credit to something i liked in amazing spider-man 2 i did not think they would actually go through with the death of gwen stacy and I thought that was a good adaptation of it. It's not a good goblin, but the actual scene itself, yes. I liked a lot. I really appreciated that. And frankly, the Gwen Stacy Peter Parker relationship, I thought was fantastic in those two movies. Uh, see, okay. see uh, that's fine. But <laughs> I, that is something that I've always liked the two of them. I thought I thought they did a great job. It was more modern. There was definitely a more modern version of those characters than what you got in the classic sure. like. When when Green Goblin actually killed her in the comics, 
in the seventies or whenever. It's definitely more modern, but I always like the two of those. That is if I'm rewatching those movies, for me, that's one of the highlights. I don't like the stuff with the Osbournes. I'm not really into the lizard. He's not one of my favorite villains. Electro, I thought was a dumpster fire, but I like, for me, that's a highlight of the movies. Um, and of course I've said plenty of positive things about Holland. Yeah. I, I think for me is I, I do enjoy the, all Spider-Man films, including, you know, Amazing Spider-Man. I haven't finished Amazing Spider-Man 2 in a long time, but I'm going to give it a shot here in a few weeks. Um, And, you know, I've always gone back and listened to the original uh, back-in-the-day review of Amazing Spider-Man 2. I loved it. I thought it was great. And then when I tried to rewatch it, I couldn't rewatch it. It was bad. Um, There was cringe-worthy things in that movie, but I still there's still elements in there that I like. I still love Garfield's Spider-Man. Um, so not Peter Parker, Spider-Man. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think that there's room for all of these in, in certain cases. I, I definitely think after Amazing Spider-Man 2, they went the right direction. Instead of instead of well, yeah, they went to Marvel. Yeah, exactly. Well, right, right. Well, no, but 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 I'm agreeing to that. Like I'm saying, like I think that it obviously was the right thing to do because instead of keep banging their heads against this shared universe that well they're eventually going to try to give us, but instead of you know shoving this down our throats, they said you know what, maybe we don't want to do this even before the the hack or you know they really were like, hey, do we want to bring Spider-Man back in Marvel? Is that something we actually want to do? Um, you know, these are so to me, like there's certain there's a place for these films. And I think that like I mean it's like Batman and Robin and, and Batman Forever have people that love it, even though it's regarded as you know, there's the they're the worst of the Batman films or returns even. You know, I mean, there's elements from all those films that fans like and they, they can get behind. And I can get the same thing applies for me in, in all these Spider Man films, including Spider Man three. Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. There's elements I really love about all those films. There's parts of it I can't stand. But I love them all because they're all my favorite character ever, which is Spider-Man. But at the same time, I'm really glad we got something different with Spider-Man Homecoming. And we're getting something different in MCU. I just rewatched Infinity War. Watch. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Infinity War. And just the other day, and I love seeing Spider-Man in it. It was just so great to see him, and I love the costume he was in, and it was great. And you know, that's very modern Spider-Man, and that's fine. There's, you know, Spider-Man's going to grow. He's going to grow. He's going to grow up past what we're given in the Rami films, the, the Web films, in the Homecoming films. There's going to be a different Spider-Man as it goes on. It's the spirit will be there, but he's going to change a little bit. You have to embrace the change, and just you know, roll with it because it's not going to be yours forever. No, I mean, it just, it won't be. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I liked the Peter and Gwen relationship in the first movie, except for all of the weird, awkward, they're about to kiss and they don't kiss for like 45 seconds before they actually kiss every time. That's just weird. Uh, People don't actually do that. Uh, And then the other part was uh, just mostly, it was mostly Peter in Amazing Spider-Man 2. And how ridiculously selfish and self-centered he was and completely oblivious to what was going on in Gwen's life, even though he was stalking her. So, like, there was a lot of that stuff that I wasn't crazy about in Amazing Spider-Man 2. The only things I really liked about Amazing Spider-Man 2 were the visuals. It was some of the best Spider-Man visuals that we got in any movie. But there's a lot of things that I think are just complete missteps and i'm sure there's a podcast somewhere where i talked about it that you could probably go back and listen to but uh or maybe we'll have to revisit that film (laughs) eventually um 
But anyway, I, I'm happy that things have worked out the way that they have with Marvel Studios. I hope it gets to stay that way. I hope the Sony universe of Marvel characters doesn't muck the whole thing up uh, oh. because I'm having a great, great time with Spider-Man as part of the MCU. And even though there are some things that are different and not everything is the classic interpretation of Spider-Man, the core of who this character is is still very classic Spider-Man. And so I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And I can't wait. I mean, we've had... Three turns with this character already between Civil War, Homecoming, and Infinity War. We've got Avengers 4, because he's going to come back at some point in that film, and Homecoming. It's, that's what's crazy to think about, though, is that we're going to have, what, five turns with Spider-Man from, from May 2016 to July 2019. In just over three years, we'll have had five <laughs> films with this Spider-Man. Uh, but because they're, they are changing some things and because they are allowing this character to grow and explore different ideas and aspects of this character and even doing things a little bit differently so that they can explore even more territory, it's, uh, it's working out and I'm enjoying it. Uh, but I hope uh, you've all enjoyed our conversation on this podcast. We are going to go ahead and wrap it up here. If you want to keep up with Marvel Studios News, you can check out our website, marvelstudiosnews.com, Facebook and Instagram, at Marvel Studios News, and on Twitter, at Marvel Newscast. Brent, great job. Where can everybody find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Brentech Prime, and I co-host a couple of shows myself, Fans Without Borders, where we talk Marvel, DC, Sony Universal Marvel characters, Star Wars, Star Trek, all that stuff, as well as DC TV Squadcast talking about the Arrow and Flash uh, world on television. Very cool. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter uh, talking about Spider-Man, posting lots of panels from Spider-Man comic books and other things about Star Wars on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. And you can find me and the pictures I post of cheeseburgers on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at looks good, Mr. By the way. Sean Gerber. Sean spelled S-E-A-N. It was really good. <laughs> it was an amazing cheeseburger. Excellent. Anyway, for Brent, for Paul, for Marvel Studios News, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>